0: In this episode, we will delve into a crucial topic, understanding the reasons behind canine aggression. Joining us today is board-certified animal behaviorist, Dr. Amy Pike, who will share invaluable insights into this behavior. From fear and territorial instincts to resource guarding, our special guests will shed light on the underlying causes and offer expert guidance on effective management and training techniques. Stay tuned to gain a deeper understanding of dog aggression today on the Family Pet Podcast. the family pet podcast the podcast for curious pet parents where we believe the more you know about pet health care the better pet parent you can be i'm your host michael shirley joined once more by my older and really mean brother Stephen.
1: yes Welcome i am steven so mean to you well uh, now,
0: all I of
1: don't... our all of our listeners are going wait a minute Michael's the one who makes fun of Stephen all the time Steven, It's not the other is, way around
0: Well, the reason, if you want to know people uh, No, they the don't The reason that I, I don't give up the intro Is because it would be way worse Stephen picking on me Let's talk a little bit about growing up Why were you so mean to me? Can we talk about that? today on the podcast
1: i feel like i need our siblings here to all say why were we all mean to you because you were so incredibly not. annoying and would not leave us alone all of us that's all not, of us
0: that's not true i felt a lot of aggression coming from you i mean you were the one that locked me outside in the snow in my underwear of the out of the house <laughs> the awkward, okay. awkward silence you know it you can't even deny it But today we are going to talk about aggression. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good intro into aggression or not. No, it's um, not, but but moving on. But it's staying as the intro for today. We have a repeat guest back, uh, Dr. Amy Pike, board-certified animal behaviorist uh, with the Animal Behavior Wellness Center in Fairfax, Virginia. Dr. Pike, welcome back to the Family Pet Podcast.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Do
0: you have any, any advice for the... For Stephen and sibling aggression, his, how to from deal with his aggression forty <laughs> for years aggression.
2: ago? Yeah, I have a great, great advice. Uh, have an only child. That's oh. what I was. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Too late for Michael and me. I've yep. got four. He's got three. <laughs> yep.
0: We had.
2: Oh yeah, I had two. I got convinced by my husband to not do the only child yeah. thing. He says it was because I'm kind of spoiled. but <laughs>
0: Oh, we yeah. It, it's funny if you talk to all the different, uh, all of us, the four of us. We we can all tell you different. We all have different perspectives for, for sure. Uh-huh, uh-huh. About,
1: no, the absolutely. three of us all have the same perspective about you.
0: Well, I don't agree with that. <laughs> so, I saw a TikTok video that said. Do you have one of your children that you feel like could overthrow a government? And why is it your middle child? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is about. it. Well, today we're going to be talking. Last time you were on, you were talking a little bit about um, behavior and how it affects our feline family members. But today our episode is about our canine companions. And we're going to be talking a little bit about fear and, well, excuse me, well, fear and pain and just. Trauma that maybe re- leads to aggression in our pets. So, mm-hmm. um, our first question really is: Why do dogs act aggressively?
1: Yeah, a nice specific yeah. question there, Michael. Let's just yeah. give her one question and let her talk for
2: forty minutes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's ju- yeah <laughs> just back, like, we'll, we'll stop talking you for time once. Sit yeah. down. <laughs> maybe I should ask: What yeah. are the most common reasons? Top two that you see in your practice. For dogs that are suffering, yeah. or that pe- they have been labeled an aggressive dog. What's, what's mm-hmm. up with
2: that? Well, I don't like labels, I, okay. first of all. Um, we do diagnose, but I don't like labels. Because any, any animal can use aggression as a behavioral strategy, and that's really all it is. Aggression just is... I mean, actually, the definition of aggression is a distance-increasing behavior. So you're trying to gain distance between you and something that you find scary or that you feel um, gives you, like, lack of control over yourself. So, like, we use aggression, right? You just said yourselves that there's a little aggression in this family. So I don't like the label of, like, just globally saying this dog is aggressive. It just is using a strategy, period.
1: Distance. Wh- how did you say that again? Distance.
2: Yeah, distance. Increasing behavior.
1: Distance. So, like, incre- it
2: could be anything from barking. I'm barking at you to stay away, um, or lunging and trying to keep you back by lunging, and and even though that's closing the distance between the dog and you know whatever it's lunging at, it's intended to make that thing back up
0: not unlike locking me out of the house. In oh, that the was snow.
1: Destined, definitely De- distance <laughs> increasing behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Now how now to our listeners out there, we can fix this cuz now Steven and I have a podcast together. We <laughs> we brought our distance together. We decreased it instead of increasing it.
1: <laughs> <Love> it. <laughs> so, you described aggression as a reactive behavior. It's not something they mm-hmm. particularly want to do?
2: Yeah, no, actually, um, aggression can be really costly to the to the person or the animal using it, right? Because they can actually get injured in the process. So aggression is not something that any species takes very lightly. Um, and so there's a lot of factors that play into, like, why why they would choose aggression over, let's say, just running away. Um, A lot of our dogs, especially, they can't flee because we have them on a leash or we have them inside a tiny little veterinary exam room, right? They can't escape. And so we limit their options of coping to the use of aggression.
0: It's interesting that you bring that up about the size of the exam room because as we moved, as we were planning and building and moving into our new hospital, One of the concerns was that because we're a fear-free hospital, we we are very attuned to the fear, anxiety, and stress that pets experience when they come to the vet for their visit. And our exam rooms decreased by at least half, uh, if not a little bit more, and we have seen the dogs can't get away from us as easy as they were able to before. And so our team was a little bit more concerned about make sure that we're watching for signs that things are not going in a very fear-free way. Um, so what, yeah, sh- what what strategies do you have for pet parents that may be listening to this show whose veterinarians aren't as attuned to that or aren't looking for those signs? How can they be an advocate for their pet, and what should they do when they notice at the vet office that maybe the tight exam room is causing some anxiety issues?
2: Yeah, so the first thing that pet parents should do is learn to read dog body language you know, dogs are very nonverbal. And so they're going to tell us way before we actually hear anything from them and and hopefully don't have to hear from them, you know, in a verbal fashion, but they're going to tell us long before. And so recognizing those signs of stress, like a, you know, ears are pinned back, licking their lips, blinking really rapidly, tucking their tail, maybe crouching, all of those signs. And then Being the advocate that they should be for their own pet, just like you would as a parent, if someone is making your child uncomfortable, you're going to say something, right? Speak up. And if you know your pet, you do know your pet the best, then say, hey, you know what, this exam room is really small. Would you mind if we maybe took this outside and did, you know, I've done consultations out in the grass before because... A, the dog didn't want to get in the building because they were too scared, or B, they were so aggressive that being in a confined exam room was way too scary for them. So so just, you know, making sure that you always speak up and, and be your pet's advocate because they don't have anybody else to speak for them.
0: During COVID, we started doing patio exams at our old building, and so we found... A lot of pets responded really well to that. So when we designed our new hospital, six of our 10 exam rooms have outdoor patio exam spaces that are attached. I love that. Yeah, we can can open the door and go straight from the exam room to the patio. And that's definitely um, been a nice thing for those dogs that are a little bit stressed there. I want to go back to something you said about labels. So you said that you don't like labels. And I'll be honest, at our office, we monitor the FAST score, the fear, anxiety, and stress mm-hmm. score for our patients and keep a history of that. Our goal is that everyone is at a zero or a one, but we have dogs that come in um, maybe at a three. And, and Stephen, can we be sure to link the FAST score yeah, we'll have, Yeah, we'll have
1: some information so, and helpful uh, body PDFs body language, yep. that show images of what a stressed out pet looks like
0: so a 3 you know they're coming in they're they're not taking treats as much anymore they're you know you know they're not quite as happy a 4 is that they're refusing treats they're showing signs of stress a 5 is that they're acting in an aggressive manner um we monitor that and we label on our schedule we label those appointments i guess what i'm saying is that or i'm asking about is that if your dog has a history, do we, do we just, is that how we address it? It's like, our, my dog has a history of fearing induced aggression or my dog has a history of, exactly. of this. Okay. Instead of saying my dog yeah, it's is like a, It's aggressive. like a
2: historical diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. Like the cat once or dog once had a urinary tract infection, right. right? Like it doesn't mean it's a UTI patient for the rest of its life. So it's kind of similar in because that fashion.
0: Because people don't like to, <laughs> to be told their dog is aggressive. Your dog is aggressive. But right. that's not a good feeling right. to have, yeah.
2: Absolutely. I mean, because that's our babies, right? right?
0: When Michael started mentioning
1: label, I thought he was going to go a different uh, path. And I want to ask that um here. There are dog breeds that have been labeled as dangerous or aggressive. We're talking about aggression. So can you kind of talk through, when people think about dog aggression, is it is it mm-hmm. nature, or is it nurture when you're when you're thinking through that because you're describing situations that the dogs are reacting, not
0: mm-hmm.
1: proactively trying to kill everybody they're reacting right. so can right. can you kind Definitely. of walk through some of that uh, those situations,
2: yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the whole nature and nurture thing is is really complicated with behavior, um, especially with dogs because we have so many breeds. Um, and so, we think about thirty percent of behavior comes from genetics. Um, again, because of breed stuff, we can't you know we can't test every single breed and say definitively one way or the other, but. What we have found is that there are predispositions based on your breed in how you manifest your anxiety. So the dogs that are offensive um, in nature in general, right, your guard dogs. So I have giant schnauzers. That's my breed of choice. Awesome. And they are going to manifest their uh, fear, anxiety, and stress in an offensive manner. I also have mini schnauzers, <laughs> and my mini schnauzers have been fairly timid, but they're still terriers, right? So, again, they're a little bit offensive when it comes to things like predatory aggression. Um, so they're going to go get that cat or get that, you know, mole in the backyard kind of thing. So, so while there's predispositions, that doesn't mean that every individual is going to be like that so that's why things like breed specific legislation can't hold water because not every individual of that breed is the same you know i've met giant schnauzers that are like big mushes and my first one was just like that he set me up for failure when getting future giant Mm -hmm. schnauzers but he was just a big mush he would have never heard a fly right and so you can't say just because you are x breed you are going to be aggressive period
0: but their genetics 30 percent will uh, of Mm -hmm. their behavior is from genetics and if you're if you have a herding dog they want to herd if you have a they want uh, to herd if you have a border terrier like we do it wants to dig and your yard (laughs) is trash so i have one
2: yep i love border terriers
0: and and she's a little hard-headed you know like in my, uh-huh. that's, I, yeah. I'm labeling her <laughs> but but yeah. she yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting how she responds differently than our miniature american shepherd who is intense like oh mm-hmm. like not in a bad way but like she's got to have a job and so it, and then okay. our havanese is a bread for napping is what my wife says right and so
2: right.
0: <laughs> if if all things are equal they all live in the same house their defaults are different we could attribute that to the yeah. 30% uh, when I asked my okay. wife, I told my wife that we were having you on the show. She said, How c- she goes, could you have Dr. Pike talk to pet owners that when we ask them, Hey, you have a puppy, it's not a bad idea mm-hmm. to go ahead and muzzle train them because, mm-hmm. and, and then she goes, Sometimes when I bring up muzzle training, the owners just shut me down and say, Oh, well, you're just scared of my dog breed because it's a German Shepherd. And mm-hmm. she's like, Well, I am kind of because if you don't do this right, I at least want them to know how to wear a muzzle so that if you bring them in and they're really anxious, they don't, as you said, manifest that anxiety through aggression. Um, If we could, yeah. She goes, I I just want them to like not be offended when I tell them to muzzle train, and I also don't want them offended when I tell them you really need to train your dog well and give it a job early. So that we have behaviors uh, in place or or training aids in place to help them deal with their anxiety.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, that genetic predisposition, like you said, like the German Shepherd or, you know, I'm going to pick on the giant schnauzer you are going to have to as an owner work much harder and socialize that much more for a breed that is already guardy in nature Mm -hmm. um herding dogs you're going to have to work that much more initially to get them to you know not chase things or herd them down the you know down the stairs or whatever so like putting in the work early on is going to make that dog that much better because you have these predispositions But uh, we train every single one of our puppies that comes through our puppy socialization class to wear a muzzle. And the reason is because at the vet clinic, you just never know when they might need it. They're painful. You know, they've got a thorn in their paw. Don't blame them for biting me if I go to take that thorn out, right? But if we have a muzzle that we know fits the dog, the dog is super happy to get it on um, and take treats through it then isn't that all the better versus trying to wrestle a dog down, slap a muzzle on it and, you know, scare it in the process um, when we could just have had this trained behavior and then everyone stays safe. Because at the end of the day, right, I don't want to be bitten. Um, I don't want my staff to be bitten. There is a safety issue there.
1: Dr. Pike, I've got a, a German shepherd mix, Maverick, who loves people. But when he comes to the clinic um, he comes on PVP pre-visit pharmaceutical. He comes on medication to reduce his FAS for one reason only: <laughs> he does not like needles, and oh. um, he's super reactive. He goes from a zero. He yeah. wants. He plays with you. He goes from a zero to a five in an instant about needles. I don't um, know that he's a.
0: Uh, it's like a four and a half.
1: <laughs> ask Yusuf. Ask Yusuf what his score is. <laughs> okay. Okay. I associate that a needle can be painful. Can you associate the the a connection of pain? How? What role does pain play in canine aggression?
2: Yeah, pain, unfortunately, does play a significant role in, in canine aggression. Um, there's a couple recent research papers out that um, have shown that amongst veterinary behaviorists, anywhere from 30 percent, and actually most of these cases were more towards 80 percent of our cases, had a primary pain component as an underlying diagnosis. So especially when we have like a sudden onset of a behavior We've never seen aggression before in this animal. Now, all of a sudden, it's using aggression as a behavioral strategy. Something painful is going on. And that can be my gut hurts. So, you know, inflammatory bowel syndrome. It can be my skin hurts because it's allergy season and I'm itchy. It could just be osteoarthritis or, you know, degenerative joint disease as we get older. So, pain is my number one rule out when it comes to um, dogs or cats with aggression.
1: So, at home, if our listeners are, while my dog is starting to be aggressive, and I don't know why, Mm -hmm. you're saying check for pain, causes of pain.
2: Yep, go see your vet first and foremost.
1: And share that. Excellent.
0: How do you determine treatment for aggression? If if, if we refer uh, a client to the behaviorist, where do you start?
2: Yeah, so the, the first thing that we do is um, set up really good management. So meaning we have to basically stop the practice of the behavior. We have to keep everybody safe. Um, so whether that means baby eats, um, tethers, Um, Muzzle training, um, those types of management strategies, we, um, you know, we make clothes blind so the dog isn't, um, you know, barking the Amazon truck away, those types of things. So management is the first thing Um, and management can solve, quote unquote, a lot of issues, meaning we're just avoiding it. It's not necessarily treating the underlying emotion, um, but it is preventing, you know, further aggressive episodes. And then the next thing that we're going to do is um, give them enough mental enrichment because, as you said, many dogs need a job and most of us are not going to take our, you know, giant schnauzers out to do schutzend or, uh, you know, border collies out to herd sheep or anything like that, especially if you live in an apartment in the middle of D.C. So (laughs) giving them mental enrichment uh, in the form of, like, feeder toys, puzzle toys, um, even just general trick training, those types of things to really mentally stimulate your pet, um, that's, going to be our second sort of modality that we're going to use to treat. And then um, we're going to use behavior modification techniques. And behavior modification is not about like teaching the dog to sit and stay and you know, go to place or any of those types of things. It really is about trying to change the underlying emotion for whatever is triggering them. So we use, um, you know, big fancy terms called desensitization and counter conditioning, where we're basically just trying to change the animal's perception of whatever is stressing them out um, to hopefully be a positive perception, but at least neutral, right? A lot of our patients in the vet clinic, they're not gonna love us, let's be honest. Um, but if we can at least change it to a neutral experience, um, that's all I really care about. So, And then if we need to, we might implement medications and products. So we use literally all of the same psychotropic products that they do in human psychiatry now. So Prozac, Zoloft, Effexor, all of the above, we're using them in our, in our veterinary patients too.
0: And I did not hear you say that that's a solution like on its own. It's in conjunction yeah. with?
2: It's absolutely in conjunction with, yeah, no medications. You know, I always tell my owners it's not medications in a vacuum because medications are not magic wands. They're going to lower that emotion that is driving your pet's need to use aggression as a behavioral strategy. But ultimately, we have to try and um, change that association for them as well.
0: We sometimes as Stephen already mentioned, prescribe medications ahead of the visit to the vet. Mm -hmm. Some of our clients, and this is probably uh, an us problem where we haven't done a good enough job of of education. Um, Some people think that we're just drugging their dog. And I'm like, well, we're Mm going to start with this to get them down. And then over time, our goal is to not use medications at all. But we have a lot of uh, work to do because they've had past trauma. Like, in your opinion, mm-hmm. do dogs and, and other pets and animals, do they suffer from what we consider in human medicine to be PTSD or post-traumatic stress syndrome? Uh,
2: absolutely. Yeah, they do. They, In fact, they use dogs as the model for human PTSD because we know that they have almost identical disorders to, to what we develop.
0: So sometimes you would use uh, pharmaceuticals right off the bat, and other times you m- would try other things first and then maybe introduce them. Yeah. How do you decide yeah. wh- which route to go?
2: Yeah, it depends on, um, I mean, every patient is different. And, and mm-hmm. that's also kind of the fun thing with my um, area of the field is it is not just, you know, oh another aggressive dog. It's, you know, every, every patient is going to respond differently because they live in a different environment um, than the one that I just saw. The owner's ability to manage the behavior is going to, you know, play a role. And then also how ingrained this is. So let's say they've gone to a veterinarian for, you know, 10 years and had these horrible experiences where, you know, technicians were holding them down for nail trims. It's pretty unlikely that I'm just going to be able to go, you know, do some quick behavior modification, desensitize that dog to nail trims without the use of medications. Mm-hmm. And so pharmaceutical intervention to help reduce that emotion um, and that trauma that's that's happened previously is going to be really key.
0: But it is we can address it. There is hope um, regardless yeah. of, of what the main underlying cause is. We can address them all. Absolutely. We I feel like we could talk for hours. Uh, This was just the same as we we discussed the last time that you were here. So uh, if people want to find out more about behavior and behavior modification, what does it mean to be a behaviorist and what resources or where would you point them to, to do more research?
2: Yeah, so last time when we talked about cats, I um, gave you the book of Decoding Your Cat. This time I'm going to say Decoding Your Dog. So the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists did put out a book, um, and each of my colleagues wrote a chapter for that about every behavior problem that you can imagine in your uh, pets. But the other one I want to point out is um, actually a fear-free resource. It's called From Fearful to Fear Free, uh, written by uh, Dr. Marty Becker and Dr. Lisa Radosta, one of my colleagues, and Dr. Becker's daughter, Mikkel Becker, who is a world-famous dog trainer. So it's an excellent resource, especially for dogs that are stressed and aggressive at the vet clinic.
0: We've had Dr. Becker on the show a couple of times. We need to get his daughter on here. We have, we haven't,
2: we haven't. Yeah, she's amazing.
0: We were, we were, we're putting Stephen on it. (laughs) Stephen, get it done. Make it. it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, and and then also, I want to point out, uh, you have a podcast. Uh, Can you tell us where we can find that?
2: And I obviously what? have dogs. That's right? okay. I mean, we would be.
0: We, Sorry, it would daughter. be a little weird if you didn't have pets, right?
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> my daughter just walked in the door, so the dogs are. They're happy of to course, see her. Alerting me to yes. her to her stranger danger. <laughs> um, I, I <laughs> love when that I when my
0: dogs bark at me. I'm like, I live here. I feed you. <laughs> yes. Stop exactly. barking at me. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So if we want to if we if our curious pet parents out there want to hear more from Dr. Pike and also the other Dr. Amy, where where do we go to find your podcast?
2: Yeah, it's called The Behavior Buzz and so it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically anywhere that you can find um, podcasts like yours.
0: And you can find it in the show notes. We will link it. So Dr. Pike, we really appreciate having you on the the show. You've brought us a lot of great information, but we need one more piece of information from you. And that is because it is time for the fun fact. I'm going to spare you of the horn this time. (laughs) Okay. Our fun fact, you're going to help our curious pet parents out there win trivia night, or at least impress their friends and family at dinner. Dr. Pike, what is your fun fact for this episode?
2: I'm not sure this will be on a trivia night, but you can definitely impress your friends um, and family with this one. So there are only 95 board certified veterinary behaviorists in of the American College of Veterinary Behavior. And that includes, we cover Canada, all of South America, and Australia as well.
0: Just another example that the Family Pet Podcast we're is bring, bringing you the experts. Bringing me the
1: experts time and time again. We're
0: going to do a trivia night. We, we're going to do a Facebook Live event trivia night coming up. This will be one Love of them. it. Yeah, you better. Love it. Yeah, Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Well, Dr. Pike, thanks again for joining the Family Pet Podcast. Again, just a wealth of information, and I hope our listeners out there will uh, follow up with you. If they have any questions, check out the resources that we shared today. Until next time, stay curious. Family Pet Podcast is a podcast for curious pet parents where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. The Family Pet Podcast is a production of Family Pet Health PLLC and is recorded in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The statements made as a part of this show should not be taken as an establishment of any form of a veterinary client-patient relationship. All comments are for entertainment and educational purposes only and you should reach out to your local veterinary partner before taking any action on anything that you've heard here today. We hope that you will share this podcast with a friend, and it would mean so much to us if you would take a moment to leave a review and follow wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Show notes, links, and videos to accompany today's show can be found at the family pet podcast.com.